לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Welcome to a very special edition of Archer Talk. I'm Rabbi Elia Malamit in Highland Park. Highland Park, the truth of Highland Park, conservative temple congregation on Chairman. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Checker Day School on Highland, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Asher Chesed, New York City. We are, this is the pre-Pesach edition, the very special edition, a note to our beloved viewers and watchers and listeners um, we this is our last uh, Parsha talk before Pesach. We won't have a Parsha talk next week. Um, it's just complicated because there's not much of a week. But we want to thank you for watching. So we're going to give you an, an extra special Parsha talk this week. Something a little different, a little different for us, because we're going to take a tour through the Haftarot, which accompany Klal Yisrael on this journey of Pesach. It's it's. An extravagant journey. It's going to take us into different worlds, different time, different epochs, and and give us a whole uh, panoply of themes, uh, uh, just unbelievable themes to think about, including and not limited to the first haftarah, which is Shabbat Gadol from the book of Malachi, the last book, the last prophet in the books of prophets, Malachi. He is the latest, the last of them, in the last of the the prophetic era. We're going to choose a verse, that, or a couple of verses. The verses that conclude this Haftarah, Shabbat HaGadol, Ve'eshiv Lev, sorry, Behold, I'm going to send to you the prophet Elijah. Before the coming of the awesome, fearful day of the Lord, some people say the reason why we call this Shabbat HaGadol is because of the HaGadol in that verse. Because Shabbat should be feminine, it should be HaGadolah. But this is HaGadol, Yom HaGadol. This is the Shabbat of talking about the great day. He shall reconcile parents with children, children with parents, that when I come, I would not strike the whole land with utter destruction. And we conclude, I'm sending Elijah, and Elijah, he's going to be sent to each one of our seders. We're going to have our cups filled with wine, so Elijah can drink everywhere. And this verse about reconciliation, about the, the great day, what is the prerequisite for Elijah's coming? Jeremy, talk about this verse. Talk well, about- I, I want to just put, put a... A general, you know, comment about Passover and these haftarot. Pesach, just it, it is just the high holiday of the spring. It's the high holiday of the home, the high holiday of the family. You know, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you belong in synagogue for those experiences. Pesach, you belong at home. It's just to, it's powerful to think that if you don't, if you, if you have like meals at Rosh Hashanah and you break the fast of Yom Kippur, but you don't go to shul, you didn't really participate in the holiday. You, maybe you go to Shulam Pesach, but if you don't have the celebration at home, you haven't really had this holiday. 
So big, 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 huge holiday, very important holiday. And Pesach is a holiday in American Jewish life because of, you know, because of American history, because of the experience of African slaves and the importance of the Exodus and the importance of the shared biblical language of redemption in American life. We really have, we've, we've grasped well the elements of, you know, political engagement and what, what liberation means socially. But Passover, as we've inherited it as part of the, the Torah of the Jewish people, is also about the whole world you know, attaining redemption. If there's three major themes in Jewish religion, it's creation, God's creation of this amazing world, revelation, the gift of the Torah, but redemption, the world gets better. So this Haftarah, leading into Passover, talks about uh, there's a terrible, frightening day coming. It might freak you out. It might express divine wrath, but it also is a time of families coming together. Elijah the prophet the harbinger of the Mashiach, the harbinger of a new world, the messenger of redemption. You know what he actually does? He makes us love each other at home again. Makes us, makes parents and children, because they don't always have such great relationship. The redemption of this holiday is at least partly that families should love each other again. Ah, it's so beautiful. So it this reconciliation, which is so, so necessary for redemption. I mean, that's, that's what we're taking away from this. And that, and that, we are setting the stage for this great family drama that is going to unfold in all of our dining rooms, I guess. And and I guess you know the 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 tradition is serving us this reading from the book of Malachi at the end. It's it's starting with the end. Isn't that amazing that 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 you know the the overture of the whole holiday is a a word from the end. Okay? Well, it's it is from the end, but it also is um, a beginning as well in a lot of different ways. So, you know, Jeremy was talking about the the great themes of Jewish thought, of Jewish theology, which are identified with the holidays Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, um, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And we actually, right in history, we have creation, revelation, and redemption. But in our liturgical calendar, redemption comes first. And only then do we get revelation. And only then, after revelation, do we get creation. And it's to make us really think about what is the true order of things. So one of the things that we don't have time to talk about is that Malachi is the last of the prophets. The prophetic period, according to the rabbis, is going to come to an end the Shabbat with the conclusion of the book of Malachi, but it's also the beginning of the second temple period because the second temple has just been built. Malachi is you know, talking around the years of its building, perhaps, and that's going to set a different tone for Judaism, and that's going to create the Judaism that we know. Right? We're not really biblical Jews. We've never been biblical Jews. Even the biblical Jews weren't such great biblical Jews. But you know, what I've been reading a fair amount recently in early Second Temple period, and most scholars have concluded that the key to Judaism is to be found in the Second Temple period, in the what we call the Persian period, because all the institutions and things that we associate with Judaism had their beginning in this period. So, so interesting because, you know, Passover is the beginning of the Jewish story, but Passover, the the celebration of Passover is really the beginning of the rabbinic story. It's you know we 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 our seder is a rabbinic invention, 
uh, that recreates, that attempts to recreate the biblical Passover. And here, what you're saying, and I think this is good, you know, contextualizing, you're saying Malachi comes right at the end of prophecy and at the beginning. He's at the hinge point of of the you know history, really, where the Bible is really being concluded. Prophecy is over. And a new era is beginning here with with the Second Temple and with um, and with the, the 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 renovation of Judaism as we know it. Although the rabbinic period is not until much later. Let's move to. I just want to add one other point. So Jeremy was talking about the two poles of the home in the synagogue with Pesach and the High Holidays. We could also look at Pesach as establishing two poles because yeah. there's the past, the Exodus that we commemorate, but there's also the future redemption. And it's an interesting question to which one we seem to be more wed. Are we drawn to the past, and that's what drives our Seder? Or, as the Haftarot suggests, do we need to talk about the future? That it's not just the redemption in the past that's important, but what we could say about the redemption that we will bring ourselves or attempt to bring. Okay, first day of Passover the tradition gives us a passage from Yehoshua. Um, interesting passage, Joshua 5. It's the first Passover that B'nai Israel will observe in the land of Israel. I want to focus on a couple of, I'll, I'll, I'll put this verse out, and um, uh, and you'll, you'll contextualize, Jeremy. It's verse 9, 5 verse 9. Today I've rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. That's such an amazing line because it just it says we we are in a new era. We've we've crossed over the Jordan. We've entered the land of Israel, and all of the vestiges of your humiliation are no longer there. You now are accountable. You now are responsible. You are earning your keep. You're getting your food. The mana has stopped, and here you are, and that disgrace <laughs> is not there anymore. The the, uh, the the poetic ramifications and the and the different nuances, the different tone tones within that word are are, are tremendous. First of all, you 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 described so they have they have crossed the, the Jordan, the the, Torah, the Tanakh, not the Torah any longer. The Bible, everyone knows that the Torah ends with Moshe on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua begins with them crossing the Jordan. It's the story told very just like the crossing of the Red Sea. The priests go into the Jordan River. Nowadays, people have seen the Jordan River is very small. If you see photographs from even the 1930s, it's not exactly the Mississippi, but it's a big river. It's not It's not the teeny little creek that we have today. Um, the priests go into the water. They're carrying the, the ark, and the water stops. And the waters were a wall to them. They walk across. Now they're in the land of Israel. And the, our passage relates a few few things to get them ready for Passover. First of all, that the manna stops, as Elliot just said. Um, they were eating in the desert. They were eating magic food. Now they are in the land of Israel, and they are going to have to um, to uh, 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 work for their food. They're going to have to. It's going to be human human power, and you know God creates. God creates the world, and humans figure out how to turn it into food. The manna stopped the next day when they ate the produce of the land. 
And there was no more manna for them, no more magic food of the desert. They had to they had to work like regular human beings. So one of the things that's rolled away is perhaps um, the kind of dependence the, the the Israelites in their wanderings were not, you know, strong co co covenantal partners with God. God just took care of them. They were babies, but now they're grown ups. The other thing is so, the other, the other thing that's rolled away. I think is the curse of the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, work was a punishment. You have to work very hard and you're going to get very little. But the way I think you correctly described it, now they're going to work for the land, work the land to get their food, because that's what redemption is. It's not given to you. It's something you have to work for and work toward. And if you succeed, then, then that's real human dignity. Speaking of human shame or dignity, there's this other thing that's rolled away, which is that the... Uh, that the that the this Passover is the covenantal holiday. The other thing which symbolizes the Jewish covenant in the in the Jewish male body is circumcision. Circumcision. So you can't you can't uh, you can't eat the Pesach sacrifice. A male cannot when uncircumcised. And and Joshua in this passage makes flint knives, sharp stone knives, circumcises all the men. At this place, Gilgal, which means that it's rolled away, the shame has been rolled away. And the Bible also calls it the, the fabulous name, one of the best names in the whole Hebrew Bible, Givata Aralot, the hill of the foreskins. Hello, the and foreskin. I hope that everybody on your on your upcoming trip to Israel, be sure you ask the guide to take you to the hill of the foreskins. And and you don't want to miss it. It's, it's one of the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> and so, therefore, we'll move on to the book of Kings. <laughs> The Shabbat of Pesach, second day, it's a diaspora Pesach and uh, Haftorah from the Book of Kings. We are in a different era, a different era here, well into the monarchy, time of Josiah. And um, Barry, you want to give us the context? The verse I want to choose for that is 21 by Yitzav Amelech Kolam Nemora, Su Pesach Lanunaylohechem Kakatu, Al Sefer Abrita said, They find the book, they find. The Book of the Covenant in the Temple. It's amazing. So, right. So Josiah comes near the end of the First Temple period. He's going to be killed in battle in the year 609, a generation before the destruction of the Temple. But he is part of this um, religious reform movement where, according to some people, the Book of Deuteronomy is going to be discovered or the, the core of the Book of Deuteronomy is going to be discovered. And all of a sudden, the people are going to be doing things that... Uh, they have not been doing for a long time, including this public observance of Pesach, which only underscores Jeremy's earlier point that Pesach traditionally was a home ritual, not just for us, but in the Bible as well. But it's the one sacrifice that was slaughtered at the home rather than at the altar. And it's, um, it's a striking passage because, again, we have this juxtaposition between the beginning and the end. We're nearing the end of the first temple period, which is going to usher in the exile and restoration in the second temple period. But you know, the death of Josiah is really one of those haunting moments that seems to reverberate long after his actual death, even down to our own day, because you're stuck wondering what would have happened had he lived a few more years, how might history have taken a different course. 
He's like the JFK. Is he like the JFK of uh, of the time? Well, he was quite young, actually. So maybe that's a good analogy. He became king when he was eight. And I think he reigned for maybe 40 years, something like that, a long time. So he was not that old when he was killed. You, uh, Barry, you earlier said, uh, you know, about the, the dynamics of looking back and looking looking forward. And I think that that's a very apt observation about, about the, you're just the dynamics of Jewish aspirations. Do we want to be like the people of old? The first verse of our Haptarah by, by from Malachi, from, from Shabbat Agado, you know, should be uh, that our future should be that we can reattain what it was like in the past, or do we want to look forward to something that has never happened yet? And I think both of those, like a religious Jew, I think feels both of those, a pull to be, you know, just like Moshe Rabbeinu, or a pull to experience Eliyahu Hanavi in the future. But Josiah is described, um, the the book of Second Kings here describes Josiah just praises him out to the to the highest heavens that uh, there was no king like him. I'm reading verse 25 or 6, I think it's 26. Uh, you hear the Shema in that. There was no king like him who who repented back towards the Lord, just like the Shema, with all his heart, all his soul, all his might. Torat uh, Moshe. Like the Torah of Moses, the Aharav lo kam kamohu, and after him there was none like him. Those are the very same descriptions that apply to Moshe. So I think that in Josiah's term, that in the in the you know seventh century BCE, they're already imagining him as he wants to be like the people of the past. So in in our Haftarah, we have we have both the pull to the future and a pull to like re- regain the beautiful days of old. It's so interesting, you know, he he is so consequential in terms of the history of Judaism, in terms of, you know, what the place of the book of Deuteronomy is within within the Bible and how it captivates the imagination of, of the Jewish people. And he is a pious figure, and he's, he's not a zealot. He is, um, you know, someone who's committed to, to kicking out all the idolatry and to restoring but the whole that 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 the last line that you just quoted, Jeremy, how political leadership coalesces with a moral leadership, and and how how in fact rare that is, and how rare that is uh, in all of history. So let's move on to Yecheskel, Yecheskel, the intermediate Shabbat. Uh, would you say that this is the most? No, this is the second most famous of the Haftarot of Pesach. Uh, because in this after of the uh, Shabbat Cholamoy, the interim uh, Shabbat, we have this peculiar vision of the bones, the dry bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me. He took me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the valley that was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many of them spread over the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, O mortal, can these bones live again? I replied, O Lord God, only you know. Prophecy over those bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus said the Lord, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live again. I will lay sinews upon you and cover you with flesh and form skin over you. I will put breath into you and you shall live again. And you shall know that I am the Lord. It's just, it's literally breathtaking. This uh, (laughs) breath giving, breath giving, breathtaking. Um, and then there's this 
Very interesting phrase. Verse 11. Uh, Omar, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. Yavshu atzmoteinu ve'avda tikvateinu. Wow. And of course, Jewish history has an answer to that. In Odlo avda tikvateinu. First of all, we, we didn't... We were talking a little past my and I told the listeners, this is Ezekiel 37. Of course, if you're reading your, your eighth time of Humash, you can always just go go get each Haptara. But uh, Ezekiel 37 is the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Isn't it amazing that this hugely important passage found its resonance in this particularly modern commentary that is... Tatikva, Naftali Hertz Imber, a very, very peculiar man. This uh, the, the 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 guy who wrote Hatikva. I know nothing about him. He's he, he, he was a poet, and of course he had a life, and he was an alcoholic, and he wrote this poem in Europe, and he died in New York, I think it was. Really, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, really, really, yeah. And I don't know where he's buried, but uh, or maybe he's buried in Israel. Maybe I don't know. Uh, he, um, but he took these words and he answered them. And to the, you know, this has so much resonance today. We're in, a, you know, we've been saying over these last few weeks, we're in, we're in a moment. There's something happening. This, these, these forces in Israel, and and it's not over. This, this story is not over, and it's playing itself right now, even as we speak, and and it's going to be playing itself out um, in in everybody's home in Israel and throughout the Jewish world. Where you know people who are invested in Israel and and connected deeply to, they're they're trying to figure out and and there are people in Israel who are saying, you know, there is no hope. It's it's painful. It's a painful moment. You know, Maybe- I, this, this past week I had I had several you know programs related to. We had some guests from Israel. They're still here. Um, I'm gonna meet with them. We're gonna come to the show on Saturday. I'm gonna meet with them on Sunday. Group of sixty principals. Um, and I was on a panel on Sunday with Asaf Zamir, the Consul General, who was the last act of him in office. Because because when when uh, I mean this the, the the water's off the boil a little bit for the most extreme things right now as we're recording this on Wednesday, but uh, on on you know on uh, Sunday, uh, yes. Bibi Netanyahu fired the Defense Minister for pushing back, and when he did that, Asaf Zamir, the Consul General, He's resigned on. at that moment. Yeah. Um, so I, the last thing that he did, it was the last thing he did in his office was sit on a panel with me. I don't think it was my fault, though. <laughs> and then, then he resigned. <laughs> so here, what we might note is that this haftarah provides a bracket with the haftarah from Malachi, because Yochesel comes at the beginning of the exile, which is going to culminate with the building of the second temple with Malachi. It also resonates with the last line, the second to the last line of uh, of Malachi, because you know it might be in the next passage where it talks about the house of Joseph and the house of Judah, that you know this family that's rent by descent goes back to the earliest imagining of our mm-hmm. ancestral tradition. You know, Joseph and his brothers very rarely presented themselves as unified. And I think what plays itself out through biblical history is this great desire for the brothers, the sons of Jacob, to be reconciled. And perhaps 
In some way, that's what Malachi is talking about. And it requires a, a messianic figure to do it because in real life, it, it's fraught with difficulty. Okay. Let's go to, to the next Haftarah, which is from Shmuel Beit, the seventh day of Pesach. Shmuel Beit, we, we know at least one line from this Haftarah, which is the last line. It's in the Birkat Amazon, Migdo Yeshuot or Magdil Yeshuot. Malkov Yosech, it's the tower of victory to his king who deals graciously with his anointing. But there's another a line, verse 17. Yishlach He reached down from on high, he took me, he drew me out of the mighty waters. Yam Sheni Mimayim. Jeremy Kamanovsky. Well, so King David is the person who is who is speaking the shot in this in this uh, passage. It's it's the last great poem on the seventh day of Pesach. We read the crossing of the Red Sea. So this great epic poem in the end of King David's life, which is which is very very closely parallel, almost identical to Psalm eighteen. Um, it's another epic poem. But what I want to cause attention to just this line is who's who's that guy who takes us across the water in Exodus? Is Moshe, Moshe, yeah. and 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 his stepmother, you know, the princess of Egypt, she calls him Moshe Kimin Hamayim Mishitihu. She gives him this Hebraic name, even though we didn't actually happen to know. We modern people happen to know that the word Moses, like Tutmos the Pharaoh, Mos means man in in Egyptian or male male person. I think male child, perhaps. So Moses is an Egyptian name, but Moshe is a Hebrew word meaning to draw through the water. So when King David says, Yam Sheni Mimayim Rabim in this passage, and we hear the word Moshe, the verb Moshe, um, we know that this motif that God and human religious leaders, that like what is what is the human religious leader? King David is the person who got drew, drawn through the water. Moshe also got drawn through the water. Moshe also draws through the water. And King David, similarly, like we're playing on this motif. What is what is rescue? What is salvation? You make it through. You make it through. And the water is rising. It's at the throat. I'm choking on the water. And the 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 religious rescue is like a process of getting out of dangerous waters. So I, I just think this is pretty cool. The way that the way that one Bible passage, without exactly referring to other ones, kind of knits together to tell a, 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 a like a, a, a fabric or a weave of the same story. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. With that, let's go to the the last haftorah of the whole holiday, eighth day. For those of us who observe eight days in the diaspora. This is, um, I'm going to say this is the, the masterpiece of all the Haftorah. This is the, the crown jewel, Isaiah 10. Isaiah 10, we, we could almost spend an hour on each verse here. This is this, the, this same day at Nov, od hayom benov, lamod yinofef yado, he shall stand and wave his hand. Hine adon adonai tzvot, the sovereign Lord of hosts will hew off trees, tree crowns with an axe. And then it says, shoot shall grow out of the stump of Yeshai. And goes on to tell us about, about the individual, about a person, about um, an era, the era which is known to us, the Gar Zeev im Keves, Vinamer im Gdi Irbats. Verse 6 The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the kid, the calf, the beast of prey, and the fatling together with a little boy to herd them. 
and on and on. A little more, a little more. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion like the ox shall eat straw. A babe shall play over a viper's hole, and an infant pass his hand over an adder's den. In all of my sacred mount, nothing evil or vile shall be done. For the land shall be filled with devotion to the Lord as water that covers the sea. Isaiah, man, Isaiah, the, the soaring poetry of, of the biblical prophet Isaiah, like we know that there's, you know, the first half of the, the first two thirds of Isaiah and the second third don't, they don't take place at the same time. Presumably, like not not the same writer unless he lived two hundred years. But both the first half and the second half have this incredible, just soaring poetic mastery. It just it picks you up and lifts you up, and, and just you want to just say yes. The possibility of redemption's at hand. What I want to say is that that you know, blessed is the generation that had an Isaiah that that could lift the people up like that and take take their their crushed spirit and give them that kind of hope and that kind of vision and it's done through oratory it's done through words i don't think they're you know he's he's you know basically imprinted this vision on human civilization i mean like you can go to the united nations and see this there you know it's 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 the ultimate vision of 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 a world that's at peace so i want to ask you something you you can say that you know the the the, the leopard will lay down with the kid and the, and the whatever the wolf and the, the wolf will lie down the leopard will lay down with the kid. Uh, is it purely allegory? That is to say, um, I'm describing that the powerful will treat the powerless, the vulnerable, gently, or is it saying that the world is going to change? That the laws of the laws of biology and physics are going to change, and really there won't be violence. Like so, you know, and and when the cow and the bear will both graze, and the lion and the ox will both eat, are are the predators going to become vegetarian? So well, so the question I think has to do with how do we see the Garden of Eden? Because in the Garden of Eden, the animals too were vegetarian. They were given the the same stuff to eat that the human beings were. Right. And if we think that that is the original design of the world, then Isaiah is saying we're going back to that. We're returning. But if we think it's a projection on what the future is supposed to be, then it points us forward. Well, do you read it then as a total allegory, which is that, that there's going to be a total change in 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 human nature? That that I you know, I like what you said. It's a tough question to answer because I think that on some level I wanna read it as a intimation of a future that we're working toward that we've never seen before. But I think each of us likes to think of ourselves as being unique individuals and no one is going to live their life the way that I live mine or you live yours. And so we want a sense of the future gives us something new, something that we haven't seen before. And And that's what I would what I would make of Isaiah. He's, mm. he's pointing forward. My, my desire, and I'm not 100% sure I'm right, but I think I'm right. I mean, just because of the stuff that, that Barry said about the, the image of the original creation, 
is that it doesn't just mean, you know, that the Putins of the world will stop preying on the Ukraines of the world. It doesn't just mean that, you know, that, 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 whatever, tyrants will cease to exploit the vulnerable. I think it means that the world changes and instead of the kind of violence that's baked in where snakes eat children, children can play with the snakes and they won't, there won't be violence. And my, my holy mountain will be become a place of peace. But I admit that it's also possible that it's saying that the Putins of the world will stop trampling on the Ukraines of the world. And, and you know, as, as one of the voices about redemption says in the Talmud, like the only difference between this world and the redeemed world is that the, that the tyrannical kingdoms won't trample the small people. And, and maybe that's what it is. But I'm, I kind of I like the more mythic reading. This uh, Haftarah gives us, um, well, the, the, the verse that has become the iconic uh, Hebrew dance song is in this Haftarah, Ushaftem Mayim Besasson, and obviously it's so difficult to hear that verse without and how a melody which is so ingrained in us almost distorts the, the meaning of it. I wonder if we could talk about it for a second without the melody. What does it mean to draw, draw, draw water with joy from the fountains of salvation? What's the fountain of salvation? And how, I mean, before that song was composed, someone, someone, you know, Isaiah had this image that there was gushing waters of salvation and that it was up to us to, to, to take our little, our little vessel, our little jug, our little, you know, juglet and put water in it. Salvation water. My Mishua. <laughs> well, so, my, no, so, so just what you were saying about that is, um, you know, can we do it without the the folk the folk dance? And obviously, they did it for some hundreds of years before the folk dance. But uh, it it also plays liturgically in Havdalah. Like yes. this is this is how you begin the this is how you begin the week. This is in the in the Havdalah for this last day of Pesach. And I, I don't I don't know uh, if this is exactly right, but you know. Any number of biblical texts, because of the way the land of Israel, where it is, how it is, uh, a lot of desert, a lot of dry places, and it's it's like like the like the verse in Psalm forty-two, uh, like like the desert goat pants after a spring of water. So my heart thirsts for you, uh, oh God. So it's like you, you know what the land of Israel looks like. You go walking through the desert. It's dry, it's hot, and the wellsprings of salvation spurred up. If you discover, you discover the possibility of, of you know, goodness and sustenance where there was none. So we, we've gone on a little journey here. We started with Malachi, the end of the the temple, the end of the era of prophecy, the beginning of the second temple era, back to Joshua when the Israelites were already in the land in the the time of Josiah at the cresting of the the monarchy the ezekiel vision of the valley of the dry bones where where there's a destitution and a, and a vision of restoration uh the 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 song of samuel which is a kind of you know a a paean to to the the um exodus and this vision here in isaiah i i want to ask two questions to end and we're going a little further which is this is a journey and and most of us and most of our listeners and viewers may not be 
adept or 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 involved with the reading of the prophets and you know how do you get into this and how do you how do you try and and get into the the world of the prophets and understand their what they're saying it's difficult these words are difficult the haftarot are difficult to 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 read and haftarot are difficult to understand and there's just so much there so what, what did, do you have an advice for anybody on on you know where you would start or what you would listen to or what you would or or just a word jeremy or, or barry sorry go ahead so i i think the what works for me sometimes is to remember that the prophets offer a distinct perspective and what we need to remember as we go through life is that there's always more than one perspective. There's always more than one way to look at things. And you have to be open. And even if you don't connect today with one prophet, you might connect with another one. And one of the things that I liked about what we did today by going through all these different haftarot from which ran the gamut of the biblical history is that History doesn't stand still, and there's always something in the past that could shed light on where we are today. And just to tie it up with what where we began is that because Pesach is such a family holiday, we sometimes need to remember that in our individual families, all the perspectives matter, not just mine. So good. And we have to be open to that. Jeremy, any 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 words? That. that was good. I mean, yeah, there's a dream. There's dreams here, and and the prophets represent the dreams of of the people. And you know, we're we're you know back to our tables and back to our dining rooms. You know, we're going to be. We're, I'm, I'm sitting in my dining room now. You know, I'm gonna. This is where we're going to do the seder. And um, you know, you close your eyes and you think about your life and you think about your family and you think about the people that are there. There are people that are not there, and and how we're all connected to each other. And you think about the dreams. And, and you know, the Seder ends on a dream. The Shana Habab Yerushalayim, not, it's not an idle dream. It's, it's, um, it's a prophetic vision, that last line of the Seder. It, it's a gift to us. It says to us, don't, don't stay where you are. Take your mind, imagine. And, and maybe that's the, the message here, which is, you know, we don't have to be, you know, we don't, we're, we're, we're not able, we're not literate enough to, to understand these words, but just, just, you know, dream a little bit and imagine, and there's, there's some things that will restore your soul here, like the, the dry bones, like Isaiah, and we'll, you'll be restored relationships, etc., etc. It's a great journey and just dip a pinky toe in it. That's what we're saying. That's good. we want to say thank you thank you to everyone for watching for listening we wish you an amazing Pesach beautiful Pesach joyful Pesach enjoy study learn eat but not too much (laughs) and before that of course we wish you Shabbat Shalom Shabbat Shalom (laughs) see you next time on the next edition of Barshat
בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים, קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM